the scariest stories are true. Amazon Prime exclusive lore is a chilling six-episode anthology series from an executive producer of The Walking Dead. Each uniquely creepy episode takes a myth that's rooted in historical folklore and twists it, exposing timeless terrors that still haunt us today. Real life can scare you to death. Watch exclusively on Amazon Prime Video. Lore, now on Amazon Video. This week, on Myths and Legends, it's two stories of Hans from German folklore. The first story is of Hans and his fiancée, Gretel, and how following your parents' directions might leave you with new stitches, bruises, and more bodies than you care to bury. On the second story, if people have hated you your whole life and giving you the not-at-all-clever nickname of Stupid Hans, do not follow those people into a dark cave. On the Creature of the Week, you'll see why it might be a good idea to scream gibberish at cicadas. This is Myths and Legends, episode 86, Clever. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week, there are two stories from the Grimm brothers, collectors who scoured what is now known as Germany in the 1800s. The first story is Clever Hans. Hans was heading out the door when his mom asked him where he was going. He turned, explaining that he was going to Gretel's, but not the Gretel, though it was a common name. Nope, he was going to see his fiancée. His mom shrugged and told him to behave himself. As Hans arrived at his fiancée's house, Gretel burst through the door and threw her arms around him. Had he brought anything for her? He shook his head. Nope. Want something? Gretel must have taken it as a want something statement. All caveman... Solomon Grundy-like, because she pulled out a needle and handed it to him as a gift. This was kind of a confusing turn of events, but Hans just rolled with it. Hans was very good at rolling with it, but <sighs> did he have to carry this needle the whole way home? It was an incredibly minor inconvenience, but just then, a truck hauling hay bales passed by him on the road. <sighs> Perfect. What better place for a needle than a haystack? Hans even remembered a saying to that effect somewhere. Hans was very smart. When he arrived back home, his mom greeted him and asked him if he had taken Gretel anything. He shook his head, took nothing, but got something. She sent him home with a needle and he put it on a wagon hauling hay. The wagon that's pulling away right now and is also a literal needle in a haystack? The mother asked, looking back and forth between the shrinking wagon and her boy. That was stupid. You should have put it in your sleeve. Han shrugged. Remember, he was good at rolling with it. He promised that he would do better next time. And so the next morning, he got up and left to go visit Gretel. When he arrived, she, again, threw her arms around him and hugged him close. They chatted a bit, and then she asked if he had brought anything. He shook his head. No, he grunted that same want something. Where he probably put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, and Gretel looked around her house. She had a knife. She asked if that would do. Hans, who, remember, was very good at rolling with situations he did not understand, said that it was perfect. He guessed. As he was walking home, he found that, by virtue of the hay truck being on a consistent schedule, he was trailing the hay again. 
and the knife was even more mildly annoying to hold than the needle had been. And the straw made sense, but wait a second. That's exactly how he had lost the needle. His mom had chastised him to not do that again in the future. But what did she say to do? Hans snapped his fingers. That was it. He remembered. You're really pale, his mom commented when Hans returned home. Things are getting a little fuzzy, so be quick. Ask me if I brought Gretel something, Hans replied with a grin. Did you bring Gretel something? No, but I got something again, Hans said, grinning even wider. And what'd you get, mom asked, and Hans raised his arm. It was a knife, and it was stuck in his arm. The mom had exactly the reaction that you'd think, leaving Hans so confused. Why was she acting like that? He only did what she had told him to do. Also, it turns out it's really hard to safely carry a knife in your sleeve. Luckily, it had become lodged in his arm. His mom pulled out the knife and bandaged her son's arm just before he passed out. She chastised him again, saying that he should have put it in his pocket, not his arm. Hans nodded. He was learning a lot this week, and he would do better next time. His mother said that she didn't care. As long as it didn't end in death, it wouldn't matter. I had one request yesterday. One request. The mom shouted when Hans broke through the door the next day. Hours late, Gretel, it seemed, was running out of household items. But they were going to be married, so what was hers was his. She had given him kind of a big gift for his vague responses. This time, it was a goat. The goat was stubborn, of course, and so they had missed walking behind the hay cart that day. Even still, you shouldn't stick goats in hay. You apparently shouldn't stick anything in hay, according to his mom. And Hans looked at his sleeve, the deep cut still healing from the day before. No, he shouldn't put it in his sleeve either. And frankly, he was a little grateful. He didn't know how that was going to work. Then he remembered. The pocket. Huh. He pulled open his pocket. Didn't look like there was a lot of room in there, but he was not going to get this one wrong again. He looked at the goat and told the animal that it had to get in his pocket. I can imagine the goat gave him a look like, okay, I'm a goat, but even I know that's not going to work. If the goat was in charge of the situation, they probably would have made it home safely. Unfortunately, Hans was in the driver's seat, and he had some pretty strong opinions about his not nearly pocket-sized friend. The goat, being too stubborn to walk calmly on any road, was not a big fan of trying to fit in Hans' pocket. It kept running away, too, so Hans had to cut up the lead and bind the animal's legs. Looking at it all hog-tied on the ground, Hans scratched his head. Hmm, now how to fit this thing in his pocket? For the first few minutes after Hans managed to shove the goat in his pocket head first, the thing was pretty bitey. But soon the biting stopped, and actually it just stopped moving altogether. Happy that his new goat friend was finally taking a nap, he walked home in peace. When he arrived, many hours later, he was hugging a dead goat. The poor creature had suffocated when Hans shoved its face in his pocket and held it there for hours. The mom looked at her son and shook her head. You should have put a rope on its neck and let it home. And not suffocated it in my pocket? Hans asked. This barely made sense at all. No, let's put a moratorium on all animal suffocation, the mom said. The next day, Hans' mother heard screaming and barking 
so much barking. The next instant, Hans burst through the door and slammed it behind him. He said that that, that did not go well. This time, Gretel had given him some bacon. Turns out, when you put bacon on a rope and drag it through town, you make a lot of friends. Friends who are hungry dogs. And they were out there finishing off the last of the bacon, actually. The mom threw her hands in the air. What was wrong with this kid? At least nothing died this time. She explained that he should have held the bacon on his head or something, not dragged it through the street. Exhausted, he made note of this and went to bed. Luckily, Gretel wasn't asking about how he liked all of his gifts because the next day, she sent him with a calf. Hans knew he shouldn't put it in his pocket. Suffocating small animals did not go over well at all. Then he nodded. Three and a half hours later, Hans returned home, his face bruised and beaten and his mother worried. He was really late this time. So I got this calf, Hans said. And I remember what you said about not killing animals and such. So I did what I should have done with the bacon and put it on my head. And the mother asked, eyeing the dry blood on his shirt. Well, it kicked me in the face until things went black and I woke up on the road and the calf wasn't kicking me in the face and also wasn't there anymore. Maybe the dogs got it. Who knows? Also, things kind of smell like colors, so I should probably lie down. Hey, Hans, the mom said. I'm going to backtrack on my earlier recommendation. Don't put things on your head. The next time, just lead it here with a rope and tie it to the hay rack outside. Hans shook his head in disappointment. First, yes, lead things through the street. Then no, put them on your head. Then yeah, actually go ahead and do that, and then tie them up here. His mom apparently couldn't figure out really basic things, and he was starting to worry about her, but he would listen. He would lead things back and tie them to the hay rack. And his opportunity came the very next day. Gretel, now sitting in a mostly bare house, said that she had the afternoon free, and she'd like to meet Hans's mother. And what, what was Hans doing? He replied that he was just looping some rope around her neck so he could lead her through town into his family's farm. Like a farm animal? Gretel asked. He shook his head. No, he wasn't going to kill her or let her run away, so not like a farm animal. Like bacon. He assured her that this was all very safe and normal. He insisted on it, actually. It was the only way he was going to take her back to see his mother. She began to question her decision to get engaged to Hans as he looped the lead around her neck. And she absolutely knew that she had made a mistake when, after a humiliating walk through town with her fiancé pulling her along on a leash, they made it to the house. Almost to the house. They made it to the hay rack. Her mood went from annoyed to alarmed when he took the rope off of her and gruffly grabbed her and bound her to the hay rack. He had to make sure she was on there tightly. <laughs> you couldn't be too careful. He had already lost a calf, a goat, a needle, knife. Well, basically everything. He wasn't going to mess this up when it came to his own fiance, the poor baby. He had to gag her too. She just didn't get it. This is what he had to do. He went inside and greeted his mother. A couple hours later, as they were finishing up dinner, his mom thought about it. She turned to her son and asked if Gretel had given him anything today. Between bites, he said that she had not. Actually, she had come with him. Oh, and she left without saying hi? Too bad I didn't get to meet her. What'd you do here? Did you cast friendly eyes at her? No, mom. I let her with some rope and tied her to the hay rack, like you said, Han said, and continued eating. The mother chuckled, but then realized that he was serious. Wait, you're not joking, are you? Is she still here? Mm-hmm, yeah, right outside. The mother swore and stood and ran to find a lantern. 
hoping that Gretel was still alive out there in the darkness. <sighs> Han's shoulders slumped. He just couldn't do anything right. Apparently, you aren't supposed to leave your fiancé like a farm animal and tie them up outside. That seemed like it could be a really common mistake. He looked off and saw Gretel struggling against the ropes in the darkness. She was still alive, at least. He had to find a way to make this right. What did his mom say? Cast friendly eyes at her? He thought about all the eyes he had seen. But he needed friendly ones. <laughs> Not his mom's, that's for sure. She's always like, don't stab yourself. Don't carry cows where they can kick you unconscious and wake up in strange places. <laughs> no, really the only eyes that had ever looked on him with any degree of friendliness were the animals in the barn. He was their caretaker. They loved him, and he loved them. Still, if that was the only way to make things right with Gretel, then that was the way it had to go. He took out his knife and headed out the door. You said to cast friendly eyes at her, and I've been doing that. But should I throw them hard or soft? I've been doing both, more of hard. She didn't seem to like either very much, though, Han said. And his mom wrenched the bucket from his hands. She looked down and nearly vomited. It was full of freshly removed eyeballs from the barn. In the time it had taken her to find the lantern and fuel, Hans had cut the eyes from the family's animals and was now throwing them at Gretel. The poor girl, still tied tight to the barn, was sobbing. Hans was confused. It seemed to be doing the opposite of making things right. If he would have known that, he wouldn't have cut out the animal's eyes. The mother untied Gretel and apologized profusely. Gretel wiped blood from her face and smock and dress, screamed that the wedding was off, and ran off into the night, back toward the village and to people who would not throw eyeballs at her. Hans watched her go and shook his head. He dumped out the rest of the eyeballs and went to care for the now blind animals in the barn, saying, as he walked, that he would do better next time. Did you enjoy this children's story? Because that's what it was, a story for children. One that includes suffocating and mutilating farm animals and assaulting people with eyeballs. I don't know that there's a lesson behind this, and it appears to have been played mostly for laughs in the grim version. Kids in the grim time loved violence. When the stories were reworked for later versions of the grim fairy tales throughout the 1800s, when the folk tales were shifting from being largely for adults to largely for children, they became more violent. And that kind of extremely bloody ending would have played really well with the kids in mid-1800s Germany. The next story today is another one about Hans. A different Hans. In folklore, cultures kind of pick a name and call male characters by it. In German folklore, it's Hans. In Slavic folklore, it's Ivan. And in British folklore, it's John. They all translate to John in English. Anyway, this Hans doesn't have a mother. Well, he did, but times were tough. She and Hans's father had died a long time ago, and Hans became the miller's apprentice, along with two other boys. It was a good job, and Hans was just happy to have a roof over his head and a couple of meals a day. But all that changed when he learned that it was coming to an end. We'll see the kind of offbeat competition the boys need to go through to survive, but that will be right after this. All right, now back to the show. called the boys to him, and 
told them that he was retiring. He had no children, so he was going to pass the mill on to them. Well, one of them, since he knew the boys kind of hated each other, he wasn't going to try to have them work together and learn life lessons and stuff. But instead, he wanted them to go out and get him a retirement fund of sorts. Whoever came back with the nicest horse, no questions asked, then he would become the sole heir and owner of the mill. It was a winner-take-all sort of deal. And the clock started right now. The boys stood there confused. How are they supposed to find a horse? That's like telling someone with no money to bring back a car. The old man said that that was the point. So they shrugged and decided to go questing for horses. I can imagine the old man immediately regretting his decision. Because, well, if you send all your employees out looking for horses, you don't have any more employees. The other two boys absolutely hated Hans for some reason. They called him Stupid Hans. They laughed and joked and pretended they were all going to go on a fun trip together. They found a cave to sleep in and they went in super deep. Hans was a little afraid, but didn't worry because the older boys had some torches. They built a fire deep in the cave and they all went to bed. When Hans awoke the next morning, he wasn't actually sure if it was morning. There was absolutely no light, and as he groped in the darkness, he found the damp ashes where the fire had been the night before. With that, he knew. The other two boys were never his friends. He shouldn't have trusted them. They had abandoned him. He backed up, scraping along the sharp rocks until he found a wall. He hadn't bothered to look when he laid down. He had no idea which way was out of the cave and which way was just going to lead him deeper and deeper into the earth. Awash with panic, that was when he saw the eyes. Yellow eyes opened in the darkness, staring right at Hans. They danced and drew closer and closer. Are you lost, little boy? The silky voice sang from the darkness. What's your name? Hans felt around for his pack. He didn't care which way was out and which way led deeper into the cave. Any direction that got him away from the monster, the better. He pushed back in terror. Then he remembered. He'd left his pack by the fire, where the thing with the yellow eyes now stood. Are you looking for your pack? The thing asked. I can give it to you. Just reach out your hand. The thing came even closer. Filling the wall on either side of him, Hans knew there was nowhere to go. He winced and slowly reached out his hand and felt the pack, along with a fluffy paw holding it. Having handed over the pack, the creature struck a match, and Hans saw a friendly tabby cat as she motioned for him to follow her out of the cave. Hans couldn't believe what was happening. That could have been really bad, he told the cat. She replied that, in fact, it was really bad. He had been stranded alone in a dark cave. Hans explained his whole predicament to the cat, who shook her head, but then thought about it. You know, I have a horse, the cat informed Hans. A lot of them, actually. Would you like one? Hans replied that yes. Yes, he would like one. The cat nodded thoughtfully and told him that horses, as he was no doubt aware, were not cheap. She had already rifled through his pack in the dark. Sorry about that. It's all that he didn't have any money, so here's the deal. If he worked for her for seven years, then she would repay him with a horse. Deal? Hans narrowed his eyes. His fellow apprentices might have thought he was stupid, but he knew better than to make deals with strange talking animals he met on the road. He wanted to see one of those horses before he committed to anything. The cat shrugged. Fair enough. And off they went to her castle. And yes, castle. 
as Hans looked on the sprawling grounds and walked into the main hall. He wondered why he hadn't expected all the talking cats, servants, musicians, cooks, and friends to also be cats. There was a cat butler who escorted them past the cat violin players and cat cooks in the cat kitchen. She walked him out to the stables, where she showed him several cat servants taking care of the beautiful horses. The tabby cat, obviously in charge of it all, told him that these were the horses. If he worked for her for seven years, then one of them would be his. Hans thought about it. Seven years was a long time, but he would be sure to have a horse. He didn't know how the other two young men would fare, but it couldn't be much better. They were all penniless, and it would take over a decade of work for a horse of this caliber. Worst case scenario, he would work for seven years, not get the mill because the miller had died or given it to one of the others, and he would still have a magnificent horse, and a pretty solid line for his resume. In reference to the talking cat, he turned to the tabby and agreed. He would do it. He would work for her. She smiled and said that Hans could start tomorrow. The dinner was actually really good, and I guess the cats had bodysuit hairnets. Hans sat chatting with the tabby as the other cats played instruments and danced. Things were going well, and so the tabby asked him to dance, and he laughed at her. She was the size of a normal cat. How would that work? The cat shook her head. Fine. If he didn't want to dance, then he should just go to bed. Work started early tomorrow. The cat was offended, but you'd never know it by the accommodations. Hans had a cat for every need, and the cat servants helped him get undressed, pulled down his bed, and blew out his candles. He didn't know how this day would go when he woke up in a cave this morning, but falling asleep on a feather mattress in a cat palace would probably have been pretty low in his list of guesses. The next morning, after the cats bathed him by dipping their tails in soapy water and scrubbing, and other cats came in and dried him with their tails, still others helped him into his stockings and garters and brought him his tools. The days bled into weeks, and he was given a silver axe to chop wood, a silver scythe to mow the grass, and a silver hammer to work on the logs of silver he cut down with a silver axe to build an additional silver house for the tabby. Before you ask, I have no idea either, so we're just gonna keep moving. Every night, he would dine with the cat and her servants, and he and the delightful tabby became great friends. They laughed and talked and listened to the court cats playing cellos, trumpets, and fiddles. Eventually, he put aside his self-consciousness and danced with the tabby. His work was so great and his time at the palace so wonderful that he didn't even notice the months pass. Then the years. The only metric would have been his clothes. When he arrived, he was a boy of 12 or 13. The cats had never given him new clothes, so his coat and his smock were starting to run a bit small, which was weird, to him at least, because he had only been there six months. Nope, said the cat. It's been almost seven years. What? Hans said. When did that happen? Uh, over the past seven years, the tabby offered. There was a calendar in Hans's room and everything. She actually had no idea how he missed nearly a decade of his teen years, but yeah, he was pretty much finished. She asked if he would like to walk out to her small silver house he had built a few years back. They stood by the door. It was silver, if you're wondering, and the tabby opened it. Inside? were 12 horses, each one more beautiful than the one before it. The tabby told him that he was free to go. He had done the work and earned a horse, but she wouldn't give it to him now. He just had to return to the miller, and she would follow three days later, driving his horse. Anyone else might think it was a trick, that the tabby cat was trying to get out of pain for seven years of labor, 
but not Hans. He may have been easy to fool, but that wasn't what was on his mind. He had spent seven years not only working for the tabby cat, but eating with her, talking with her, becoming friends with her. She was the only friend he ever truly had. He trusted her. He didn't entertain the thought that she would trick him, not for one second. As he walked back to the old miller's house, he wondered if he should have given the tabby cat the address or something, but figured that she was a talking cat with an army of cat servants and silver trees on her property, so she probably had ways of figuring that out. It had been seven long years, but the mill was exactly the way he had left it. Outside, he saw two of the roughest looking horses imaginable. One was blind and the other one lame. As it turns out, finding a free horse is like trying to find a free car. It's possible, but anyone that you get isn't gonna be too great. It had taken them nearly seven years too, but the other two workers had found horses and returned only a few days before Hans. They were surprised to see him alive after their little joke but he didn't bear any ill will. The old miller, the man who had his retirement delayed by nearly a decade, was not happy to see Hans. He was even angrier to hear that Hans's horse would not be along for another three days, at which time a talking tabby cat would arrive with the horse. The other two young men chastised Hans and pressured the old miller to make a decision now, but the miller stood firm. A deal was a deal. As long as Hans was here, the miller had to wait. Hans had three days to produce a horse, and what did Hans think he was doing sitting down at the table? Tables are for people who bring back horses. Hans, who apparently hadn't changed his clothes in seven years, could take his meals on the ground for the next three days, the old man said, as he hobbled to the door and threw Hans's food into the dirt outside. Hans shrugged, knowing that his horse was coming soon. The nights weren't much better. The bitterness the young men and the miller had for Hans had finally boiled over into overt hatred. Hans's bed was now in the goose house. And how are you doing? The oldest miller's apprentice said to the beautiful princess, who rode up to the mill. She ignored him completely and asked where Hans was. <laughs> oh, the stupid one? Who cares? I haven't seen him for three days. He might be dead. Now let's get back to us. The apprentice said, I'm in here, Princess heard from the goose house. Hans had heard a familiar voice. They made me sleep in here, and then my seven-year-old clothes fell off my body, so I'm naked in the goose house. I've been eating with the geese eat. It hasn't been a great few days. Also, other mean apprentice guy? See? A tabby cat can talk. The other apprentice scowled. Uh, she's not a tabby cat, Hans. She's a beautiful princess. Also, shut up, Hans. The apprentice yelled back. Hans shouted, What? And burst from the goose house. He stood there, naked and covered in goose filth, using the remains of his smock and shirt to cover himself, looking in shock at the princess. How could this be? She was a cat, but she was a princess? A thin smile stretched across the princess's face, and she snapped her fingers. Servants emerged from the carriage, took Hans and washed and clothed them. When they returned, the poor, simple Hans looked every bit a prince. The princess announced that Hans's horse was here. The old miller took one look and said, Hans, the mill goes to Hans. The other two young men were outraged and complained, Hans, he's an idiot. Yeah, he kind of is, but his horse can see 
and walk. So deal with it. You work for him now. Oh, no, no, no. We're not going to work for Hans. That's ridiculous, they replied. Fine, the old miller said. Then you're fired. I don't really care. I'm seven years late for my retirement, so I'm going to get on this horse that can probably talk and fly and literally ride off into the sunset. Peace out. And off he went. After he left, Hans offered to let the other two guys stay on. He wasn't the type to let people go hungry, even ones who had left him to die in a cave. But they were too proud to work for Hans and left immediately as well. And let's say they rounded the corner and were eaten by ogres. Hans walked over to the princess in disbelief. So you pretended to be a cat? He asked. She said that she technically was a cat, but yes. For seven years. Mm-hmm. I'm so confused. Well, it's really hard to meet good guys, and as a rich and beautiful princess, you kind of only attract pompous jerks, unless your dad opens it up to everyone who can kill the local ogre or whatever, in which case you might as well roll the dice. So I left. I turned myself and all my servants into cats, and we took up residence in one of my dad's castles. She honestly did just need someone to cut wood and stuff. Cats are notoriously bad at that sort of thing, and she hadn't expected to fall for Hans, but having spent years with him, she now loved him and hoped he loved her too. If he wanted, she would like to get married. Hans really couldn't believe it. His best friend had been a cat, and now she was a beautiful princess. That is the best case scenario when it comes to befriending talking cats. So they were married. Hans became a prince, and the story ends observing that sometimes simple people, like Hans, with kindness and hard work, can go on to do great things. I want to say thanks to Marina, a listener, for sending me a message and telling me about the second story today. Next week on the podcast, it's our annual Halloween episode. It's that time of year again, where we'll be telling some ghost stories, along with an extended Creature of the Week, where we finally cover werewolves. In lieu of other announcements, I want to sometimes use this time to tell you about other shows that I'm listening to. I've been getting into a show called Historical Figures. That's about, well, historical figures. People who change the course of history. It's cool because you might know their name, but there's so much more to their stories, like why they took action to change the world, how they achieved their goals, or even what they failed at. It goes on a journey through famous lives, where you learn about personalities, childhood, friendships, financial struggles, and motivations. And the hosts, backed by a team of researchers, provide little-known facts every episode. There are ones up right now on Albert Einstein, Marco Polo, and Lewis and Clark. And there's a new episode up every Wednesday. To find it, just search for historical figures in Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts, or go to parcast.com slash history to listen there. That's historical figures at parcast, P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com slash history to listen now. The creature this time is the Bison. It's part of Jakun folklore, a group from West Malaysia. If it looks like a cicada, sounds like a cicada, and feels like a cicada, it's obviously a beautiful woman in the form of a cicada. They are the guardians of camphor trees in Malaysia. And you might think that that cicada might not be that tough. They are pretty small. You could probably just squish the tree's guardian and take all the camphor that you want. But how many times have you seen or heard a tree with just one cicada in it? How much do you want to risk squishing the wrong cicada? How lucky are you feeling? There are ways to get camphor without putting yourself in very stupid, very immediate danger. The first is to just give the guardian your lunch. 
all of it. Just put it on the ground in front of the tree and come back later. Oh, but they don't really like stewed vegetables or fish, so don't put any of those in there. And no condiments. That's actually a stipulation. And no salt, and just forget about the lunch. They're really picky. The other way to appease them is to serenade them with the language of the trees. But you probably don't know the language of the trees. And that's okay, because no one does. If appeasement doesn't work, you can always scream gibberish at them, approximating whatever you think the language of the trees sounds like. They'll be so distracted trying to figure out what you're saying that you can just rob their tree of everything they're trying to defend. If you aren't trying to steal from them, they're actually pretty nice, and they will sing songs and serenade you. But remember, they take the form of cicadas. So they really only know that one song, the one that sounds like horrible buzzing. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring us this week. If you're on a quest for epic gear, housewares, and collectibles, Loot Crate has an awesome range of pop culture items, all for less than $20 a month. It is the best surprise you know is coming. Be the envy of your friends and get your 100% exclusive crates at lootcrate.com legends. Enter my code, LEGENDS, to save $3 on any new subscription. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hold up. 